Amen. And y'all, I got to give them one more hand. That was fantastic. I mean, you know, guys like that, man, they could, they could head to the bars and make some money because that was that was really really good. I'm kind of glad I wasn't playing today. I would have had to practice a lot to be able to do that. Um, great, great job. So. Um, I knew I was going to be, that the kids were going to be in here, everybody was going to be in here. It makes it a little more nerve-wracking because it seems like it's doubled in here. Um, but I wanted to try to do something to to get the kids kind of involved. And so, you know, I've been on been talking about fighting, um, you know, the fight of faith and everything. So yeah, I'm like, well, Lord, you know, what can, what's, what can I do? You know, that still has to do with fighting and I can get the kids involved. And so, you know, uh, when I thought of, you know, a big fight in the Bible, I thought of, of David and Goliath. So, um, the title of my sermon today is called Fighting Goliath. And, you know, I said, well, they, they've heard the story of David and Goliath so many times. You know, how, how can I present it, you know, in a way that's a little bit different that they can get, hopefully get a lot out of. And, uh, I don't know if any of y'all, any of y'all, it's probably going to be nobody, but uh, anybody in here ever watched an episode of Game of Arms? Okay. Oh, man, of course it would be Hershberger. You know, they call him my twin and everything because uh, we play Scrabble and we make bread and, you know, all right, so that's that's weird, okay? But that's cool, you know, that's all right. Um, but, man, Game of Arms, like, it comes on. And you got these just beastly dudes, man. It's like Goliath and Goliath. I mean, they're just sitting there talking about ripping the other guy's arm off and just about to go to the table. Everybody's cheering. And they come up to the table and somebody shakes that table and about rips it in half and puts his arm up there and the other guy comes up there and they're doing all this crazy stuff to try to psych each other out. And then it's like game on. Bow! And they start struggling and it's like bam! One week earlier. And you're like, oh, you know, and do I fast forward to the end to finish watching it? Or do I watch everything to see how it got up to this point? And the more you watch, man, you, you realize how cool these guys are, how family-oriented they are. But, man, when it comes to arm wrestling, holy smoke, you talk about taking it serious. It's, um, you know, made me kind of want to start a little Lifeline Community Club arm wrestling, you know, you know, arm wrestling thing. But then I thought, well, man, all those guys, like, do real work, so... They'd probably like rip my arm off, so you know, kind of scratched that idea. So like, um, so I kind of got this idea to do this this way. So um, one thing you're gonna have to do for me today, though, is you're gonna kind of have to forget the fact that you know David and Goliath. Forget the little fact that you've read the little children's storybooks, you know, a thousand times that you kind of know it. So you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta forget that. So one thing I did. Um, We've been working on this all week, but now, you know, the pressure's on. So, J-Man, come on up here a little bit. Caroline, come on up. All right. So, so she's going to stand. You can stand right here behind me. And you stand over here, at that, about right there where that cable is. All right. You ready? And he's going to put the first verse on the, on the screen. All right. So, Caroline, back up just a little bit. You ready? Remember the pause? All right, let's do it. You ready? As the Phil's team moved closer to attack him. Go ahead. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet you. 
All right, give them a hand. Very good. See? All right. Now, so that's where, you know, the, the battle's on. But what is, what's going to happen? So now, here's the one week earlier part, okay? Y'all head on down. We'll finish the end of the episodes at the end of the end of the sermon. So very good, y'all. Head on back down. Good job. Good job. All right. So what I want to talk about now is what were some of the, the events that led to this encounter? How did he get there? Why is this big old giant standing right here and this kid you know, about running to attack him. And once again, if you didn't know the story, you would say, oh man, that poor kid's about to get annihilated. But you got to look at some of the things that happened up to that point. So I'm asking today, what can we learn from this and what were the events that led to this? And that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to look at. So let's dive in. But before we do, let's pray one more time. Father God, I thank you so much just for the worship we've had today and for everybody being in here and just the presence, Lord, just the, the powerfulness of all of this that we've, that we've encountered today. So I just pray, Lord, that you keep it going, that you use my words and you use this very familiar story to teach us something today. To the, the men in here will leave being just a little bit more mighty men of God and a little bit more wanting to pursue you and go after the things that really matter. Not these things that are temporary, but these things that are eternal, Lord. So be with these words and open our eyes and ears and minds and heart, Lord, so we can see, hear, know, and love you even more when we walk out these doors. So be with these words. Be with this sermon, Lord. I just turn the, turn it over to you, Lord. Right now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Goliath, you'll see I kind of put the little dots in between each one. And the first one I want to talk about is the G. God first. One of the fights that rather, I mean, as a kid right now, you know, you got to learn to put God first. And you know, it might be, you might be later in life and you know that just something and you realize, you know, God's not really first in your life, but that's the battle. That is, we've got to learn to put God first. And David learned very early in his life how to put God first. And I want to get, start with 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10 through 13. Jesse had seven sons of his sons passed before Samuel. Samuel was told by God, go to the house of Jesse, there you will find a king that is after my own heart, and I want you to anoint him to come after Saul. Saul has been very disobedient to me, and he's been very disappointing to me. We are about to go get a new king, and you will find him at Jesse's house. But seven sons passed before Samuel and the Lord said and Samuel said the Lord's not chosen these these guys aren't here so he asked Jesse are these all the sons that you have there is still the youngest Jesse answered he's tending the sheep so we get this idea that that this tending the sheep's this very insignificant Thing. And we're going to find out later that, you know, he kind of gets made fun of for, for keeping sheep. But 
This is keeping sheep is where David learned to honor the Lord. Those sheep became important to him and he hung out with them and he cared for them and it made him pen the words, the Lord is my shepherd. And he said, you know what? In the same way that I care for these sheep and I look out for them, that's, that's the way the Lord is for me. I mean, He leads me beside green pastures. You know, I lead my sheep to a place where they can feast and, and eat the grass and enjoy the, the land. And that's what God does for me. The more I follow Him, He leads me to places, to still waters, to, to just peace in my heart. And this is where David learned to put God first in a very insignificant task, task like tending sheep. So Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. This is urgent. So he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So he goes literally from hanging out with sheep in a pasture, writing songs to God. And he could actually, he could also play the harp. He could also play, you know, which doesn't sound like a real cool, you know, you can't look like Mark over here looking real cool and jamming, you know, with the harp, I don't think. But that's what he could do. And it was that very thing that got him in a position in the palace. Because in the meantime, Saul is having all these little demonic attacks and going into these rages. And guess what? The only thing that calms him down is somebody playing soothing tunes on the harp. And so somebody says, hey, I know a kid that can play the harp. And they go and get David, and now he's in the palace, and he's learning what it takes to be king and the things that go on so that he can adjust to that administration. So you can see God positioning him because he learned to put God first. And that's what we have to learn, is to put Him first. The O in Goliath stands for others. Yes, you got to learn to put God first, but then you got to learn how to deal with others. Whether you are in school or whether you are at work, there's always somebody that gets on your nerves, that gets under your skin. You got to learn how to deal with people. When I think about fights uh, that I've seen over the years um, at schools, it's always, why, what, what are y'all doing? What were y'all thinking? Well, he said something. I'm like, really? He said something? So that's what's going to get you suspended for five or ten days? Was it worth it? Well, no. You got to learn to deal with others. God first. But you've got to learn to deal with others. I want you to, I want us to look at a fight David didn't partake in just before he fought Goliath. Now this one's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, verse 26 through 29. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace? from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He just wants to know what will be done. And he just found out that he'll, he'll, the person that, rece- that kills Goliath will receive a whole bunch of money 
He'll get to marry the king's daughter, and his family will never have to pay taxes ever again. And so you realize them in now fighting Goliath. Now there's some spoils in that. I mean, there's great reward in that. And I think about the things worth fighting for, guys. If tomorrow you don't want to go to work, it's worth fighting to go in there with a very good attitude and let other people see the light of God shining in you. That will make it worth it. It doesn't happen a lot, but I love those moments when somebody says, man, I want what you have. What's different about you? I say, man, I've got God living in my heart and He can live in yours too. And they say, I want it. And then I get to lead them in that relationship. That's the kind of stuff that matters. That's a fight worth fighting. So they repeated to him what they had been saying about what I told you about the uh, money and the Mary and the king's daughter and never paying taxes and told him, this is what will be done for the man who, who kills him. Right, go, go to the next one. Was, uh, you were there. When Eliab, okay, now David's oldest brother, now think about this, the oldest brother would have been the first one in line when Hey, Samuel's coming and he's going to anoint somebody king. Eliab would have been the tallest, the biggest, the baddest, and he would have had to have been thinking, I'm going to be the next king. I'm the man here. I know he's going to pick me because I'm the oldest. That's the way it always gets done. The oldest gets picked. So he probably had to have some sort of little excitement that he thought that some, you know, some fame and fortune and, you know, being the king was going to be thrust on him. But, he heard him speaking with the men, David, and he burned with anger against him. Why? Well, he's the one that he got rejected for his younger little brother. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? So come on, sheep boy, what are you doing? Didn't daddy just tell you to bring us our lunch? Well, we got our lunch. Why don't you go on home now and get back to those sheep? So we know that this trade of being a shepherd is is very kind of low on the chain. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. I mean, this has got to be coming straight from the devil because this is the opposite of what God said about him. God said he's a man after my own heart. And here's a man coming in saying stuff about him. He's saying something to try to get him to rage, you know. And how come, I know how wicked your heart is. You came... Keep on going. You came. Uh, oh, did I did I miss it here? Oh man, I might have had you do that wrong. Um, all right, that didn't work out for me real good. So anyway, he's like, you know, you came down here basically just to watch a fight. That's what you did. That's that's why you're here. And so David says, "What have I done? Can I even speak?" And look at these words right here. He then turned away now obviously if he just killed goliath could he have fought his brother and killed him absolutely but this is a fight where there's no spoils no good is going to come out of engaging a war of words with his jealous brother and he realizes he's jealous he realizes that it's just his his heart that's not right that's in tune with god so he walked away from this fight and that's what Others means, I believe, in Goliath. You've got to learn which ones do you engage. If it's just petty and stupid and just words, man, walk away from that fight. 
But if there's a Goliath out there and there's spoils, and it means fighting for your family, it means fighting for your wife, your kids, I mean, that's a fight worth engaging. And choose which fights you're going to engage in. David knew which ones to walk away from and which ones to engage. Alright? The L in Goliath stands for lines. Okay, You need to build lines in your life that you do not cross. There's God's way and there's the world's way. And I only go so far. You may choose to do something the wrong way, but I choose to stay on God's side and do things His way. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verses 1-3, through three. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. And so you got the Philistines over here, where I was. And they pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Okay, and then verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So you got Goliath, Philistines, Israelites, Saul over here, and then look at verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. Okay? Notice there was nobody standing in the valley. Okay, they don't do like they do around NCAA tournament time and whoever's in the final four, well now all of a sudden my team's there, you know. I mean Clemson, they get you know, I get disappointed by them every year, but that's my team. You know, I I I am not gonna join in on whoever's winning at the time. I'm a Kentucky fan now, you know. I'm not I, I don't I'm not gonna choose that. My team's still my team, but nobody was in the valley. So so which side are you on? You know, the world is over here and they do things this way. They engage in all of those pointless fights. They put money first. They don't put God first. They don't care anything about Him. The Philistine side. And then over here, you've got God's way. We serve Him and Him only. Okay? He asks us to do things the hard way, the long way. He's interested in growing us. He's not interested in any kind of quick fix over there like those Philistines. And there's nobody in the valley. And I believe one of the greatest things that's happening today in the church is people are being forced to move out of the valley. You, you, you are either with, you are either with the world or you are with God. And I believe that's where the lines are being drawn now. Because for the longest time I thought, you know, Lord, if you if you come back, how are you going to know who to pick? Because, you know, I look at them and I just can't tell. I can't tell. So, yeah, they may go to church, but I see the way they act and I see the way they treat people. And I just don't know. How, how do you know? I know you know their heart, Lord, but how? And then over the past 10 to 15 years, it just seems like they're being forced to go to one side or the other. You don't get to stay in the valley. You need to choose. And that's one of the things I'm asking you to to do today is think about where are your lines and what side of the line are you on? Are you on God's side? Do you do things His way even when it's difficult? Or do you do things the world's way and take the easy way out? You know, and you need to pick which side you're going to go and get out of the valley. Make it very clear to other people which side of the line 
you are on. There must be lines that you do not cross and that you stay behind because God has drawn them. And then the the I in Goliath stands for individual identity. You have to learn to do things the way God wants you to do them. I said in a sermon uh, not too long ago about how, you know, it seems like that Baptists um, try to make more Baptists. You know, that Pentecostals try to make more Pentecostals. Whereas in other countries, you know, especially like Third World, what they want to do is equip you with the Bible in your language. And they want you to receive the Lord and ask Him into your heart and be forgiven. And then say, here, here's the Word, here's your instructions, go for it. And they read the Word and God grows them and turns them into what He wants them to become. And see, I mean, my kids, you know, when I, when I read this you know, Bible stories to them and stuff, you know, I, I tell them, you know, right now, and they may, they may sometimes go, why do we have to go to church? I say, cause you're under, you know, my roof and I'm the spiritual leader. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I tell them one day, the day is coming where you will have to decide. I can't decide for you. You're going to have to choose which line you're on and you're going to have to choose to let God grow you up. You know, I will do what I can while you're young. We're going to go to church and we're going to serve the Lord. You want to run away from that when you're older? Will it break my heart? Yes, but I will pray for you and I will pray that God gives you your own individual identity. And I don't want Jameson to be a little mini-me that imitates me. I want him to be what God wants him to be. And the the story I got this is it's getting closer to the battle. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. So you got the old king who doesn't realize that David's about to be the new king, and he's trying to make him look just like him. He says, I'm going to put you in my stuff. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. He's like, I want you to fight the way I would fight if I had the courage to go out there and do this. Because by the way, whose job should it have been to go out there? Saul. And if he had been obedient, he had been full of God's presence, this would be a very different story. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. He's like, I tried to do it the way Saul asked me to do it. I tried to do it the way the old king asked me to do it. But 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 he couldn't because he wasn't used to them. He says, I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took off the old way, the old religion, so to speak. Then he took his staff in his hand, five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. I love this because he says, listen, I know you want me to put all this armor on, but I'm not doing it this way. I can't do it the way the, your religion tells me I should do it. I can't do it the way it's always been done. My plan is not to go out there with a bunch of armor and get beat half to death and get pounded on. My plan is to go out here with this rock and this sling, and I am going to kill him. My, my weapon is offensive. My plan is offensive. It's not defensive. 
And so that's the way the men of God have got to be today. We're not going to sit here and just come to church on Sunday and hope through the week the devil doesn't kick our brains in. No, we're going to get up every morning and we're going to pray over them. We're going to do like Job and say, Lord, put a protective hedge about us. The evil cannot penetrate. I canceled the devil's assignment. He can't hurt me. He can't hurt my wife. He can't hurt my two kids. I am going to go after you with my whole heart today, trusting that you have me protected. So get up in the morning and take an offensive approach against these demons who want to discourage you and get you to go after every little thing that somebody says to you and get you to want to do things the world's way. You do things His way. There's an individual identity that we have to have in God that we only find by reading His instructions and following them. And the A stands for your attitude towards life, especially the way you handle life's bad things that kind of happen. And I know we got some people in this church going through some things, going through some stuff. And man, I just love the attitude that they have. You know, it's not gloom and doom. It's more like this is in God's hand and whatever He chooses is going to be right. You know, if this works out like I want it to, great. I will give Him praise and honor and glory. If it doesn't work out like I would have worked out, I'm still going to give Him praise and honor and glory. It does not matter. God can do what God wants to do. And that's got to be the Christian's attitude toward life. That whatever happens, God knew it was going to happen and He has it in control. And I love the speech. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. There's all kinds of really cool speeches. Um, one of the first ones I learned from fights in movies was The Princess Bride. And I still love this one. Hello, my name is Inigo Mondoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I mean, you know, that's like... And he just kept saying it, you know, when he was in the fights. Like, hello, my name is Inigo Mondoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. He says, stop saying that. And you know, he's frustrating his enemy with his words. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I love that. So, you know, that's one of the, the scenes, you know. And then I think about Gladiator. I love the movie Gladiator. You know, and he's like a father to a murdered son, husband to a, mur- to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And you're just thinking, oh man, that's awesome, you know? And it's, it just sends these little, just, I don't know. Anybody remember movies for guys who like movies? I wish that was still on, you know, but it's not. Anyway, here's the greatest, I think, war speech in the Bible. I'm going to have Jameson memorize this because there's no other way to treat evil than to have this attitude toward whatever stands in your way between you and God. And whatever comes in between you and complete victory. You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. Okay, Keep in mind, Goliath comes in and he sees this little guy, not armed, not anything. And he's like, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? You know, I mean, like just talking down... To him, which lets you know that he's got to be a little bit worried because he's like, 
This is different. I mean, I'm, I figured somebody would come out with a sword and a shield and would be ready to fight. What is, why is this kid so confident? I gotta try to break his confidence. And then David looks at him and says, yeah, you come at me with that sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a guide in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's, that it's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And He'll give not just you, Goliath, but all of you into our hands. What an attitude. Yes, this looks like a setback. This looks like defeat. But the battle is the Lord's. And I can tell you right now, no matter what happens, it will not end in our defeat. The T stands for tomorrow's enemies. Especially if you are a dad in here. You better make sure you take care of tomorrow's enemies. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out to the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. A huge dude from Gath. Okay? Now, go all the way back to Joshua, when they're conquering this promised land, in chapter 11, verse 21. At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country. Destroyed them. From Hebron, Debir, and Anab, from all the hill countries of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. So he's, you know, kicking tail, taking names. No Anakites were left in the Israelite territory. Look at this. Only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did any survive. And I can tell you what this is a picture is, man. You know, this is a picture of salvation killing most of the big sins in your life, and maybe you start looking at these little things that you kind of start letting go and you start compromising. But that's what happened here. They should have totally destroyed them all. But they got into a position where they owned most of the land. Well, it's alright if we let this little bit go. It's alright if we let them survive in Gath. But look what happened. Years later, years later, a descendant from Gath named Goliath is standing here and saying, listen, I will tear up anybody that comes out to fight me. And so that enemy wouldn't even be there had Joshua taken care of that unfinished business. He shouldn't have let any of those survive. And so think about that. Daddy is especially whatever you allow in your life. It may seem like such a small thing. Maybe it's just some way that you talk to your wife when she gets on your nerves. But you let that little boy hear that. And he starts saying, thinking, well, you know, I can talk to maybe my wife like this. And he takes it further. And that little thing that you thought was not a big deal to let go ends up, ends up just a, a captivity for your, your kids. 
So, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, that's why when I did my WMD on cleaning house, you know, like, what's in here? What's in my house that if my kids see it, it could, it could be a snare for them. It could be a trap for them. I gotta get rid of it. I want to annihilate all the enemies, not just the big ones. So you gotta make sure you take care of tomorrow's enemies today. And finally, the H is heart. A heart of courage. You've got to fight. I mean, obviously, you know, once it came time, David actually had to go to war. He had to step out and do it. Everything he had done that led up to this point uh, brought him right here to the brink of battle. Now it's time to step up and fight. You have to have the courage and the heart to make a public stand. And guys, I stayed here for years, you know, just wanting to do the church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and never really talk about it so I could still kind of behave the way I wanted to. It was very difficult to decision to say, you know what, I'm going to live this stuff out loud. I'm going to put my life on display. And that's what I do when I preach, when I write WMDs, I'll tell you, what I'm struggling with and tell you what, you know, the victories I have, the, the defeats I have. I just want it to be totally honest, but I want to make a public stand and I want the men of this church to make a public stand that we are on the side of God's army and we do things His way. And if somebody ever calls us out and say, well, you can't be a Christian, you do that. And if you know you're wrong, you say, you're right. But let me tell you something that a a Christian does. You know, when they realize they've done wrong, they ask for forgiveness. And I want you to know, I'm sorry for that, and you'll never see me do that again. I had this conversation with a kid, and it's unbelievable how how it worked out, because we were in class, and I was, you know, teaching him something, and he wrote his name at the top of the paper, and like 30 minutes later, his name was still at the top of the paper. And so, you know, I was like, come on, dude. I said, why don't you just give me your best? He's like, I am giving you my best. I'm like, that's your best? And is it just writing your name is just giving your best? You know, so I kind of made a big deal. We went back and forth. The class ended. It was like, whatever. Now, here's the deal. At the beginning of the year, I told him, you know, like how I was a Christian and I try to let every day be brand new. And, uh, you know, we, we start over new clean slate every day. Well, for the next few days when he was in there and he just wrote his name and he wasn't doing anything. And I walked by and I said, oh, so you're giving me your best today, right? And, you know, he just kind of rolled his eyes at me. And finally, it all came to one day where we were having a sit, you know, good, good sit-down conversation. And uh, I was like, I just talked to him about God. What do you think about God, you know? And he was like, man, there's so many Christians say they're Christians, but they ain't. And, you know, thinking I'm about to be praised, you know, like, what about me? Am I a Christian? Do I live it? And he's like, no. Well, well, dang. Well, you know, what's up with that? He said, you told us on the first day of school, Mr. Hopkins, that you start every day with a clean slate, but you've been throwing that whole I give my best thing in my face every day since then. And I was like, ouch. I said, well, man, let me tell you. I said, "Um, you're right. I said, I want to tell you right now. I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again. And he looked at me, just just the blood. He's like, you know, he said, I've never heard a teacher say that. I've never heard anybody, you know, like that admit that they're wrong. I said, well, man, I said, I'm telling you. I said, I may not put, a, put the best display of a Christian on, 
I said, but but I do love God and He saved me, man. I said, has He ever saved you? And he's like, no. I said, you know what it means? He's like, yeah, I think so. You know, they died on the cross. And I said, yeah, I said, He did. I said, man, I said, you want to receive Him today? Just start that walk with Him, man. I said, it ain't, ain't going to change you completely right now, but the more you walk with Him, the more you read His Word, you know, He said, you'll be like me and you'll look back on your life and realize that's the best thing you've ever done. You know, would you like to do that? And He said, yeah, I would. And through that whole ordeal, I got to, I got to lead this kid to the Lord. And he's been doing it for about three years, and he'll tell you, he ain't even close. But he does, he said, you know, when I'm about to do wrong, sometimes I think about what I did, uh, you know, when we prayed. He said, now think about some verse maybe that I read. So, you know, if you watch his life, now he ain't where he needs to be. But he's going the right path. He's drawing these lines. He's getting out of the valley. He's getting on God's side. And as long as he keeps moving in the, this direction, I'm proud of him, you know, and I'm going to encourage him. So get out into the deep water where you'll either sink or swim. Fight for that servant's heart that we talked about, you know. I'm not going in to paint on, you know, the Saturday that we did the work and, you know, Marcus was heading up, you know, I'm not going to go to him and say, hey, Marcus, you know, be glad that I'm here to help you, you know, because I'm the man, you know. No, God touched my heart and I want to do whatever I can to set other people up to have their hearts touched too. God will raise you up if you'll fight for the servant's heart, just like David did, just like I'm trying to do. And that's what I want to see every man here at Lifeline Community Church do. If we raise up a man with a group who conquer Goliath, who, who stand up to him and conquer all these things in their life, what will we see here? What kind of giants will we see fall? And that's all I want to encourage you to do to this week, guys, is conquer Him. Spend time in the Word. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. Do everything you can, Lord, to, to just to get on the right side, to get on His side. Separate yourself from the world. Get out of the valley and serve Him and honor Him. So the rest of the fight. Alright. Come on up, y'all. And band, if y'all want to go ahead and get uh, get in place. I know y'all got a lot to do here. Alright. Go hop on up here. So now it's the end of Game of Arms, and you finally get to see who wins. All right. All right, so bring up our little verse here. All right, just like you did the first time. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, they were run quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I don't think Goliath did that in the story, but okay. Switch hands, Jay. All right. Go ahead. Next verse. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the fisting on the forehead. Keep going. The stone sank. The stone sank into his forehead and fell face down the oh. Keep going. Keep going. In his hand, he struck down on the Philistine and killed him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, guys, to end it all, go on to the go on to the next verse. 
David ran, stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword. We were supposed to keep going here. And he drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off, cut off his head with the sword. And keep going. We kind of messed that up, but that's all right. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. But I want you to look at what happened to the Israelites. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharim road to Gath and to Ekron. So what happened here, guys, was that where Israel was paralyzed with fear, they could not engage the enemy because they were scared to death. What happened was one boy stood up in God's name and defeated Goliath. And what it did was it filled the Israelites so much with courage that they began to fight too. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. That means, man, they got all their money, they got all their stuff. This was a great day for Israel. And it all happened because one person stood up to Goliath in God's name. And he won all these battles up to that point. But when he won the real battle that everyone could see, it filled everybody else's heart up with courage. And they began to fight too. What would happen if the men of an entire church, Lifeline Community Church, gets filled with this kind of courage and they see us defeating evil. They see us separating ourselves from the world and seeing real life and real joy and real contentment. Man, it's going to cause the other people in this community to want to fight too. Thank you guys.